podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey, and this is Malby on the Spot, your weekly chance, thanks to Anfield Index Pro, to hear the wit and wisdom of Liverpool and Denmark legend Jan Malby as we talk about all things Liverpool Football Club. So let's do it once more. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Trevor. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. We have uh, a, a lot to talk about. Um, since we last spoke, there have been uh, two good wins, and we're looking ahead to two more games before we get a chance to talk again. Um, but I suppose, you know, we'll just start by getting the, um, addressing the elephant in the room as to why two, um, you know, uh, gents about town like ourselves are, uh, podcasting on Valentine's night. <laughs> What's going on, man? Yeah. What is going on, Trevor? I guess it's. <laughs> It's one of them things you just can't explain, right? Just can't explain it. it we'll just ne- leave it at that. It was never meant to be like this, was it? It wasn't. It wasn't. That's not what I signed up for, Yeah, I'll tell you that. But anyway, here we go. There it is. And uh, it's to the uh, betterment of the listeners who get a show out of it anyway, despite the fact that uh, <laughs> despite the fact that we're not eating lovely food and being all romantic somewhere. But you know what? Like I say, there is plenty to keep us distracted. Uh, plenty of uh, Reds related chat to be had. Um, I don't even know really where to begin it. Um, obviously, we want to talk about the two games. I have a bugbear, as you know, about um, all things uh, VAR, and it's just going to be, we've got to talk about how Mo Salah gets hacked down twice in two games, and they don't even do the replays. I want to talk to you about how Liverpool's high line seems to be confusing pundits all around the game. They just don't seem to get it, Jan, and it's upsetting them greatly. You're seeing the little um, puzzled heads on them at halftime on various panels, um, and it's just it's play, wreaking havoc um, on, on the ability of some lads to talk about football. Um, and obviously then we have a couple of games to look forward to as well. So we're going to do all that. Um, but we should start, I suppose, with what's most recent in the memory, and then we'll flash back to the, 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 the one before that. And that is the win over Burnley yesterday, uh, a 1-0 win. Um, in retrospect, um, looking back on it, you know, there's no two ways about it being uh, deserved or not. It patently was, despite what Sean Dyche had to say afterwards. I think he thought they had um, possibly had the better of the chances, according to Sean. That's where... Uh, one of my little bugbears comes in about offsides and letting play go and all that. We'll get to that. Um, but just your immediate reaction to that. I mean, it's one of those, isn't it, that, you know, I think that the, the lazy punditry angle, and I'll just throw it out there, would be, 
well, it's a good one. It's a good three points to get, um, even if it's a comparatively ugly win, um, tough place to go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, that's the kind of things that people trot out there. But I think it's fair, Jan. I think it's fair. They are a hardened bunch of premier hardened uh, footballers, they have loads more to take off the bench who are in that category as well. They're not going to pull up trees. Clearly, they're propping up the division. But a few results to go the right way, maybe win those games in hand, and they could get out of that. So I'll take a win there any day. Yeah, I think I think if you're dealing with Burnley first, you know, a win and they're back alive, aren't they? They've got a chance of, of, of staying up. And I, I do believe that their last home defeat in the Premier League was in September against Arsenal. Uh, they won the last three games prior to the Liverpool game, two of them have been against Arsenal and Manchester United. So, you know, there's plenty of life in them. It was a difficult game. The win didn't help. You know, people often ask me, what was it like to play in, I think the coldest we ever played was in 1986, Forest away was only like minus six. And people go, what's it like? I said, well, the cold doesn't bother you because you warm up and you get yourself ready. Uh, but the wind, it's impossible to play in wind business. So that was a difficult one, uh, to deal with. The thing with it, Trevor, is you talk about lazy pundits and whatever. So the Mo, Mo Salah incident on Thursday against Leicester, where he was clean through and Schmeichel saved it. But I was commentating on, on the game and because they didn't show it again, we, we never really got to the stage where we, we saw the incident where we certainly should have discussed whether it was a penalty or not. So sometimes it's, it's difficult, isn't it? You're following, following the ball. And the same with the offsides. So many TV viewers. Uh, kind of see the guy having a shot and thinking that was a good chance. And then they don't realize that the, the assistant referee puts the flag up and the restart of the game is, is a free kick where there's a lot of people think, Oh, that's a goal kick or whatever, isn't it? So you can kind of excuse it sometimes, but, but I certainly think with the game on Sunday, people got massively confused by Burnley's chances that eventually were all flagged offside, you know. We see that's the thing, and I fully get what you're saying in the moment. And look, I'm gonna I'm gonna play that card myself because in the immediate aftermath of the Leicester game, I didn't mention that incident with Mo except to say that it was a, an opportunity that was brilliantly saved and it was a good break, and I really thought it was one he was going to put away. That's all I mentioned because we did not see any replays on BT at all, and so you can of course m- uh, miss it in the moment. But I guess what I'm saying is. In the era of um, all the various, um, like Mr. whatever his name, Mark or Darren England or whoever he is, often uh, in, in watching his multiple monitors uh, with VAR, you'd imagine that, you know, in the fullness of time, that would be something that would be shown. Um, and that when it comes to post match commentary um, or something like a match of the day when they're showing uh, highlights and clips, what are they showing chances that are offside for? And why aren't they discussing the fact that that was an absolute penalty? It was he took the kid out, uh, without making contact with the ball. And the same happened yesterday. So it's, it's, it's in that context, I suppose I was talking about, but absolutely in a minute, you, you can, you can excuse people not picking up on stuff. Um, to, 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 to just look at, at, at I, I, I do want to chat about that, those kind of incidents in a little bit more detail. But just to look at, at how that match panned out, there is another thing that we have to address. And, you know, if, the, the, the opportunity to be still potentially in with a shout of four trophies is, 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 is a lovely thing. Um, and now that we've got this um, full squad available to choose from, that's also a lovely thing. Well, comparatively full squad available to choose from. That's also a lovely thing. 
But one thing that sort of jumped out at me the last couple of games that I saw um, various midfield um, combinations was I don't I think I think it might be time for the captain to have a little bit of a rest on the sidelines. I don't know what it is he's going to offer us. I felt really sorry for him yesterday. He looked kind of marooned. He was chasing lost causes. Like not his touch was terrible. I don't know. Do, do, do you persevere with him now that you've got all these excellent options like Keita, like like the kid Elliot? What do you do there, Jan? I mean, I, I think it's a big issue for us. And Clapo's loyalty is, is well noted. I mean, do you think there's any danger that the captain is dropped for a spell, even if his form does really warrant it? I would, I would venture that it does. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, we, we, we've tried to to defend him. I mean, he's you know he's six months into it. A contract extension and, and you have to be honest already now, six months in, do you think, was that actually a wise decision? Wise decision? Uh, you know, where's his legs going to take him over the next, uh, f- few seasons? We, 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 we just don't know. But one thing is for sure at the moment, he's not playing well. He's not giving us what he normally gives. I mean, when players are doing what they're in the team to do and they give you everything they've got, you can't complain. I mean, People have always complained about Jordan Henderson. Some people have never ever given in. But for for the spell and quite, for the long spell under Jurgen, he did what he was meant to do. He did exactly what Jurgen told him to do, uh, and that hasn't changed. The problem is that he's no longer doing that, uh, and it and it is a problem. And I agree. Uh, we 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 have a lot of we have a lot of midfield options. Uh, I'm not sure all of them is of the quality that we require. Competitive against the absolute best, but we do have a lot of options. But we do have, I mean, obviously, Fabinho and, and Thiago now looks like, you know, whenever they're fit, they'll play. Uh, and then Naby Keita, the way he plays best in the first half against Burnley, you, 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 you would take him all day, isn't it? It's, uh, and then Harvey Elliott is, is kind of the elephant in the, in, in the room, isn't he? You know, what do you do with, with, with Harvey? I think Harvey's at that level, although he's only just come back. I think he's at that level where you go, a bit like Robbie Fowler, you know, and maybe it's not necessary for me to go back that far, but I go back that far because I was there, you know, and in the end, we were left, when I say we, we were left with no choice to, than to play him, and I almost think that Harvey's like, what are we pissing around for, you know, play him. Yeah, I, I, that's where I am with it at the moment, because for me now, uh, Thiago and Fab together, uh, are obviously two that have started as many games as we can manage to keep Thiago fit for. And then this kid's ready. Like, I mean, there's just no two ways about it. You know, it, it's that's very, very exciting. Similar to another man that we're going to talk about when we go back and have a look at the, the, the previous game. Um, but I just, it, I, I just thought it was very, very notable in that first half that, um, it, it, that just didn't look right, that area of the park. And, you know, you mentioned Naby Keita, and I know, actually, to be fair, um, he, he's another one of those who very much divides opinion. And I know that you've, you know, uh, said here, like, okay, you, you can see that there, there's a, there is definitely a player there, but has he really done it for us when he has had the opportunities? Has he done enough? And I, I, I could be wrong here, man, but I'm not 100% convinced that you're 100% convinced about Naby. And Trevor, the good thing is the reason he's still, yeah, I guess, yeah, the reason he's still at Liverpool and the reason he's still very much in the picture is that we've had such a good team that we've been able to carry him. Normally, you wouldn't be able to. Had he come 10 years ago, so uh, 
compare him to the Italian midfielder we brought, what was his name, uh, Aquilani. Aquilani, right, yeah. Exactly. But we didn't have a team. We, di- we didn't have a setup at Liverpool where we could give him the time that that kid probably needed. We've been able to do that with Navigator. But we are right now where we can't continuously carry Naby without. And the first thing he has to do is prove that he can play 10, 15, 20 games on, on the bounce. Uh, but the fact that we've been so strong uh, is the reason that he's still very much in the picture, isn't it? You know, obviously losing Genie, who, whatever you think of Genie Van Allen as a player, but his availability was was, was, was incredible. Wasn't it? So, no, I'm totally with you. But I see him do things, Navigator, where I think, you know, wonderfully uh, skillful. You know, he's got a great shots and, you know, when he when he gets in those moods where he glides past people that are not there. And also, and this is not so easy to see with, with, with the naked eye, but, you know, his pressing stats by all accounts are very impressive, isn't it? So, yeah, it is. It is frustrating, isn't it? But there's no doubt that what he's shown so far won't give him another couple of seasons at Liverpool. He has to show more than what he's done. But, we, as I said before, we've been in a situation where we can be relatively understanding uh, to the problem. And I just think he's one of those guys that so many people wish the best for. Come on, you know, come on. You, you're better than that. We know you're better than this, you know. Sometimes you get players and you kind of go, I'd, lo- I'd love him to make into the person. But when he, and you go, yeah, but he hasn't got it. He's never going to be good enough. This kid is, is different, isn't it? You know, this, this, this kid has got it. He just hasn't shown us. Yeah, and I, I suppose there is a potential now, given the given the opportunities that remain uh, open still uh, to the club, and the amount of games that potentially remain to be played. Uh, there is a situation where you could see some sort of a quality, high level rotation between uh, maybe Keita and Thiago, uh, maybe Jordan and and uh, Harvey Elliott. And, I mean, I don't think too many people could turn up their noses at that in the same way now, Jan. And this is to throw us back to the previous game where we had the very exciting full debut of um, Luis Diaz. And, you know, I've used the phrase before to describe him just because I think it actually is the most appropriate one. The kid looks to the manner born. He just looks a Liverpool player. We thought that from the Cardiff uh, cameo that we had a look at and we spoke about, but this was next level. Like, I mean, I, I, I've, I know I'm probably boring people about it because I've said it on every show, but I can't get over this, this, uh, the ability to retain the ball. And I think genuinely, I think that's huge. People have forgotten how important that was. Um, what a p- important part of, of, of Ginny Wanalem's game that was. And, to be able to do it in an advanced area of the park, I think is huge. I mean, I, I, I'm massively excited about this guy and what he can offer us. I think there was some Liverpool fans who were a little bit uh, worried because a lot of the a lot of the highlights you saw of his time at Porto was him dribbling. You know, he, he does a lot of you know uh, dribbling on his own, and people thought, well, you know, maybe he doesn't quite fit into the way that we play. But instantly, I have to say, that's the one thing that impresses me more than anything is that. He has no unnecessary touches. You know, it's, yeah. it's quite incredible. You know, for, for the, for the listeners, make a point of next time you see him play and have a look at how quick he does things. Even when you think he doesn't have to do it that quick, but he still does it because he understands, he understands the importance of the next guy getting the ball as early as he possibly can to give him more time to do whatever he can in the place. He's decision making already. You know, and he's not a young player. He's 25. He's a great age. He knows the game inside out. But his decision making with the ball 
is 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 absolutely second to none. I mean, he always squares them up and always wants to have a go. But if that's not on, he just pops it off and moves it on, and then he moves. You know, it's kind of it always goes back to how we simplified when I played the Liverpool, wasn't it? You know, move the ball and the play will change, and you move and 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 the play will change, isn't it? You know, I mean, the worst thing in that is players standing still and the ball being still on the pitch, isn't it? Keep moving the thing. Keep moving the thing, and and I mean, one of the guys who he was sort of working very much in tandem with was Andy Robertson, and Andy Robertson was speaking to BT afterwards, and uh, he said his first training session when I saw him flying about, I thought, yeah, he'll be okay here, and he goes on to say, um, we just need him uh, to let him bed in. He's still got the language to hopefully pick up uh, the way we play and everything. But for his first start, I thought he was excellent today. Flying into tackles and stuff, that's the one way the crowd, um, to get the crowd to love you straight away. And I think they really talked to him. I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty insightful from, from Robbo there because I, what it reminded me of the debut of a, a certain Dirk Kout, um, many years back when he came and he was running around like a maniac, high energy, uh, getting blocks in. Um, getting involved all over the park and immediately Anfield loved them. Uh, and I thought there was echoes of, of, of that type of thing. Um, obviously there's, you know, I think Dirk was underrated. I genuinely do. I think, I think he was a wonderful footballer, but an awful lot of people had him in the sort of workhorse, um, um, mode and thought he didn't, you know, wasn't really technically excellent. Uh, I would beg to differ. Obviously, Luis Diaz is a little bit more of a of a, um, a a finesse merchant, but but there's something to be said for for what Rob was talking about there, the the earnestness of the effort, and it, it, as you say, to do things so efficiently is one thing, but to have the heart to go and do them, that's the other thing, and that's what wins the crowd over to you immediately, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt that already he looks a better footballer uh, than Dirk Kite in the book, you know. I mean, I was totally opposite of, of the way that Dirk played, isn't it? But even when I was a manager, I loved those guys in the team, isn't it? They just bring something. They don't have to play well. They still bring something. Uh, and I love that, yeah. And, yeah, this boy, South American background, and, you know, he's probably had no choice in his upbringing as a football I'm talking about, but to be tough, you know, on, on the facilities that they had and the way that the game was played. And he looks like, he looks like that. He looks a happy boy, but he looks a tough kid. He doesn't look at, like a tough kid who goes looking for trouble. But when you come looking for him, he's there. He'll stand up to you. You know what I mean? And, and, and that, I guess, even today when the game isn't as physical as it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you still need to be able to look after yourself because there is still, you know, teams that will, will, will get physical uh, from time to time. So yeah, all the signs, all the signs are good, isn't it? And I wasn't surprised if he left on the bench against Burnley because that's how Klopp does it, isn't it? You know, he'll have a little look at things and they'll feed him all the information and he'll give a clearer picture. Of how we play, he knows how he plays himself. Uh, but, but, but what he now needs to do is get tuned into the way that we play. Yeah, and and and, and the, uh, hopefully the language thing will come quickly because I think that can be a, real, a thing that really uh, impairs some of the um, people who come to the country, and and uh, it can be a thing that they can struggle with. And hopefully that won't be a situation for him. Um, Another lad who we should pay attention to on the back of um, that win, the the uh, the the Leicester win, is Diogo Jota. Um, Thirty goals in sixty appearances uh, for Liverpool at this stage, and I think I I saw somewhere that there are the last nine people 
who scored 30 plus in their first 60, so a one and two average. Um, apart from Jota was, um, Mo Salah, uh, Fernando Torres, Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler, John Oliver, Gene Rush, Kenny Dalglish, uh, Daniel Sturge was in there as well. And that's, that's quite a list of prolific types. And if he can keep that up, I mean, he's going to be one of the all time great Liverpool boys, you'd have to say. Um, because he just, you know, we spoke about him the last day and it was very interesting. Um, your, uh, chat about, you know, who it was that he reminded you of. Um, I think that sort of got a few people talking. I could see quite a few discussions on the back of that similar conversations going on. Who did he remind them of? Um, we were trying to talk about this last day, you and I, and what qualities did he have? And, uh, you know, who could you compare him closest to? And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's quite the compliment to him when you hear some of the names that are getting thrown around. Um, and, you know, again, I said it to you last week, but it, it's worth bearing out again. He's talking about stepping up to the mark, you know, like our, our season could theoretically have fallen around our arses there. Uh, when Mo and Sadio left, an awful lot of people would have said to you, well, they, if they don't have Salah and Mane, they've got nothing. And they would have been that dismissive. And, you know, <laughs> not the case, yeah, not the case. Diego Schotter, you know, eventually when he retires, I still think he will leave Liverpool as a bit of a mystery to many people. You know, many people will kind of go, what actually happened there? You know, this guy was here for five, six, seven, eight years. He scored a million goals. What actually happened? What type of a... I mean, he's very, very almost impossible to box. You know, you, you can you can go through them all. You mentioned John Holmes or whatever. I can kind of, I can analyze all of them and give you a rough idea of how they played and how they scored their goals. This guy, I'm just not sure. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know when when Van Dijk had that header against Leicester, and uh, it's one of those is the year. The moment he has that header, I'm thinking Schmeichel will save that. That was like sorry, but oh, yeah, but he'll save that before he's even saved it. But then the next thing I'm thinking, naturally, is that he'll drop and I know he'll be there. I, I don't know whether he'll score or not, but I know he'll be there. And it's, it's just unreal, isn't it? He's there. Even the goal. When you look at that, Leicester defensively, as as we move the ball across for the second goal, they're in a good position. I think they've got six, seven outfield players in good positions. And then, bang, the moment we play that ball forward, there's three defenders on the wrong side and he's on his own. And then he hits it so quick that Casper, Casper would have liked to have had a, another step and get himself set in it. But as he's moving forward, he's having to react. The reason he couldn't keep it out. And all them things, isn't he? You know, all them things, put them all together. He, he, he will be a fucking nightmare to play against Trevor. Absolutely. Yeah, long way at last. I love, I, I, I love the fact that he is that. Another talking point, just a brief one as well. And it's worth bearing in mind because Jesus, I mean, it, nothing is more apparent than, um, when Trent doesn't play well, because when he does play well, everything tends to be okay because he will be supplying, um, uh, opportunities and assisting goals. And in that Leicester game, he, he made his 150th appearance for Liverpool. At the age of 23 year and about a third years old, um, which is, you know, a stunning amount. Um, I think again, just to go into the past, only Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler, Emlyn Hughes had made more appearances at a younger age than Trent. And again, there's another lad in great company. You think about those guys and what they achieved. It's certainly, I know Michael Owen's run ended soon after, but you know, um, what he did in his early days was, 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 was quite stunning. I mean, 
there's there's nobody quite like him yet. Um, and again, I think he's one of these players that it's again is driving a lot of pundits mad. The the endless chat about him moving into midfield is because they just think, well, why doesn't he do? He can do his attacking things there, and oh, he's not a very good defender. All that kind of nonsense. It, it, I think he just drives people mental. They really want to see the flaws and they want him to stop being as brilliant as he is from right back. I, I think the only one who gets anywhere near him is, is, is the boy at Chelsea, Reese James, who also looks a, a very good player. But I think that the things that Trent also allowed, uh, relied on when he was younger, uh, a lot of that was his, his, his running ability and the overlaps on, on, on Mo and whatever. But I, I think his attitude's game. And I think Every game you see him, he becomes more and more like a quarterback. You know, although he's playing as a right back, isn't it? Uh, his game becomes less and less about the ability to run. It becomes more and more about the ability to pass the ball and always make the right decision, isn't it? So, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, will we ever see, will we ever see, I mean, will we ever see a player, you know, with, 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 with as many clubs in his back as him? You know, there's, there's not a pass he can't play. Will we ever see anyone? Capable of, you know, whatever position he's in, outside of the right, outside of the left, back, whatever it is, it just all works, doesn't it? And that's all to do with obviously ability, technical ability, but also vision beyond, beyond what most people could even dream of. You know, he is, he is an in, in, incredible player. And, you know, I think the fact that, you know, compare him to Carl Walker, Carl Walker is very much based on his physicality and he's able to, to run 100 meters in about eight seconds, isn't it? But, Trends all about being a footballer, isn't it? You know, and uh, the fact that people still visit the can't defend thing, yeah, it it it, it, it makes you laugh. It makes you laugh for sure. And as an interesting point you make about um, his his two footedness, he is quite ambidextrous uh, for sure. And I mean, it's it's a real strength, and it really stands us in good stead. But when you see him checking in from that right hand side and hitting a cross field ball, diagonal ball. With his left foot out to rubble, you're thinking, well, you're right, man. It's like it's like a, it's like a, the perfect set of golf clubs and the perfect. When I, I was two footed, yeah, yeah, I couldn't drive the ball forty yards with my left foot. I could play it with the outside or with the inside, but I, but I couldn't drive through it. Only when I when I hit a shot, but a forty yard pass, I couldn't drive through it with my left foot. I wasn't that two footed, you know what I mean? But this, you know, this where they drive through them, Trevor. It's incredible. Oh, it's just amazing to watch. I mean, like you say, he's given it the full, like, it, 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 again, in golf, in golf terms, it's a full swing through the ball. And it's just, yeah. Oh, he did. But actually, you, you raise an interesting point. Um, today there was a tweet put out, I think by Redman TV, and it was just simply, who was the player that made you fall in love with Liverpool? And, and for me, it was, it was Kenny, because that's the right age for me. You know, I was, uh, late uh, 70s. Yeah, well, late 70s, early 80s. It's before your time, man. You know, it's before your time. I, uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't about to accept it, but, but uh, <laughs> you've got, you, you basically, it's because I'm an old fucker. That's what's, that's what this is about. So, but, so, 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 so for me, it was Kenny. And, and one of the things about Kenny was, I, I remember the first season, I got to see a bit of Liverpool and it was sporadic, you know, it was very sporadic. It took me a long time, Jan, because I couldn't watch them every week, to work out what foot Kenny used predominantly. You know what I mean? Even, 
I even even there today, I I I just retweeted a goal he scored coming in from the right hand corner flag and just curled it up into the top left hand corner with his left foot, just like a kind of an outrageous effort. And I, I, it got me thinking. I mean, obviously Kenny, therefore, you know, was you know was was a two footed player. The the main thing, one of the main things I remember about you was that you could pass with either foot. Who else fell into that category? Was for the life of me, if I had to pick out one, I would possibly say was Stevie Nichol pretty yeah. decent with both foot. He was, wasn't he? Stevie Nichol, and to be fair, Trevor, it's very much to do with his personality, isn't it? Because he just has no idea, does he? You you could ask him, put your best foot in your goal. <laughs> I love I love that you're putting it down to the fact that he just I'm doesn't saying, know. I not really give it any thought. You know, <laughs> I just get on to it. As, as long as I get me, me, me a couple of pints of Coca Cola and my uh, ready salt of fresh on the card, it, it doesn't do that to each other. <laughs> you know, fuck all this. Just get me my Coca Cola, ready salt of fresh, and me uh, size 14 boots on the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care where Kenny asks me to play. <laughs> Or I don't care where Hansen sends me for cans, I'll still go and get them. <laughs> oh wow, what a fella! Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, that's that's that was that was my memory was that I, I, obviously Kenny, I remember obviously yourself, and and and, and Stevie Nichols was the other one, and I, I wonder, is there any anyone else that stands out for you over the years of either playing against them or with them or watching them that you know was really in that two footed bracket because we're used to seeing. Even like the, the 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 best in the world, the ones who've been vying for it, they're very much one sided or the other. And you go back to previous uh, generation, you know, uh, your own uh, fellow would have been playing around the same time as yourself in, in Maradona. He's patently very much one footed. Um, what? Who else stands out in that two footed bracket for you? I think Rushy was 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 also two footed. Uh, yeah, yeah. If Peter basically would, would fall into that category. Yes. And I, and I think late, sort of in the early 90s, Steve McManaman. You know, although, you know, driving through the ball to pass it was never his game and, and hitting really graspers from 25 yards was never his game either. He was always more of a, of a feeler, wasn't he? You know, he, he would feel the balls into the bottom corners and whatever, but he was also very, very two-footed. Yeah, that's their great shirts, great shirts, I have to say. You know, there, there are lots of different places I could go with, uh, with the show this evening. But I mean, the main thing that we need to do and that I kind of want to do is just to speak about this month as we're seeing it at the moment. And it's like, you know, last time we spoke, there are two games that have been played and two wins that have been achieved. And that's bloody fantastic. And, you know, it's such a massive month for us. Uh, and you know, with, the European game bang in the middle there. I think we had sort of sorted. I had been rationalizing that, well, maybe that'd be one place where I, you know, you could accept a draw this month or whatever. But you look at February. Cardiff's a great win. Um, Leicester's a great win. Burnley's a great win to get. And now we have two home games against Norwich and Leeds in the Premier League before the end of this month. We have the game against Inter on Wednesday night. That's um, the night after next um, away at their place. And we have the final. And, you know, at this stage of the game, having gotten those um, wins under the belt, I, I'm very reluctant to, 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 to be settling for anything at this stage. And 
you know, uh, it, I, I think looking at the way the, sh- the squad's shaping up and looking at the, the form and thinking, I mean, we were all thinking poor, um, poor Leicester or poor Burnley, Mo Salah's going to really take it out on someone now after his disappointments. And that's yet to come. I mean, when Mo starts getting back and getting the field back and burying the ball in the back of the net again, um, people are going to really, really um, feel the brunt of that. So you have to be immensely optimistic, Jan, for what remains of the month. Um, I, I would like to look ahead to the Norwich game with you at the end of the show, as we usually do. But can we just have a quick flick forward now to the intermatch, which we don't need to get into in, in, in as much detail as we would with the Premier League games because, you know, there's a, not as quick of a turnaround time for people even here in the show before that anyway. Um, but, you know, on the current, the, 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 the rhythm of the team currently, I'd be expecting to go out there and, and, and be coming home with the tie safe as opposed to still in it. You know what I mean? I agree. I totally agree. I think we briefly spoke about it the other week uh, when we ran through the fixes and, and I said, well, we, we're better than Milan and, so, uh, and I expect us to go there and win. Uh, it's the first season of European football where the away uh, goal rule is, 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 is being scrapped. Uh, it will make no difference to the way that we play. It makes no difference to the way that top teams play. They play the same home and away and they, they go flat out, uh, press high home and away uh, and we'll be the same. I mean, Italian football isn't as isn't as bad or isn't as, as boring as, as, as it used to be. They're also trying to change with the times and bring more energy in and more pressing and whatever. Uh, the only thing is, the bottom line is that we have better players than Milan. And having said all of that, I think our tempo and our physicality through our tempo will give them a lot of problems. I hope that's the case. And I'm interested to hear you say that. Um, because now we come to the thorny issue of selection. And off the back of the wee chat we've had there, I mean, what does, what does it look like? It, do we go with our, um, nippy merchants? I mean, did Sadio, um, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't shoot me for saying this because he's probably been my favorite outstanding Liverpool player over the last four years, Sadio Mane. And the last thing I want to think about is, Sadio being anything other than the first team starter all the time. I think he, I think he should be and he will be. But Luis Diaz is, 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 is putting his hand up and, 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 um, we know Harvey Elliott's putting his hand up. Uh, I would love to see us really go for it. In other words, Fab and Thiago and an attacking, um, guy in the form of Elliott. And I'd like, I think maybe to see Diaz start ahead of, Sadio, just in the current shake-up, the way things are, you know, he'd probably maybe come on or uh, Sadio could come on or whatever. Um, I think Mo's a different sort of, uh, in a different sort of moment, he's back in his in his, in his his momentum, you'd think. Um, and also, I have to say, Bobby Firmino might be, struggling for starts for a while now given the fact that we do have these options up top so if if i had my dream lineup it would be harvey elliott in there in the midfield with the two lads and if i really could pick my trio just on form at the moment i'd go with shota and diaz and mo i mean 
it's lovely to have these um, potential choices for Kloppo to make. Would you think I'm being a bit silly there? Do you think he'll go tried and trusted because we're away in Europe? Well, I mean, we, we can pick the goalkeeper and we know the back four. Uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if, if Konate come, comes in for, for my team. Uh, Thiago and Fabinho will play in midfield and Mo and Schotter. So there's really only two places up for grabs. Naby Keita, I'm thinking that if the plan was to play Naby Keita in Milan, he probably wouldn't have played at Burnley because every time he plays, you kind of worry about him getting injured. So I, I don't think he'll start. And then you think, well, Harvey was on the bench. Does that mean he's playing in Milan? Uh, but I tend to more think that he might go with a try and trust him. If you look at everything Klopp has done over the last five years at Anfield, isn't it? It's just smacks off. Henderson is going to play in there with Thiago uh, and uh, Fabinho. And up front, Schotter, Mo Salah. And I think Sadio Mane will start because I think Klopp might look at the next two league games, Norris and Leeds at Anfield, and go, do you know what? There's an opportunity uh, for him to... It might be an easy introduction to play a couple of Premier League games at Anfield against team we're expecting to be. It's going to be pretty much one-way traffic. It'll suit the way he plays. Uh, but, you know... He's got so many options at the moment, isn't it? Which is, which is, which is absolutely wonderful, isn't it? But just looking back at how Klopp normally does it, isn't it? I mean, this, this is our first really, really big game for, for, for a couple of weeks, isn't it? You know, I think Jordan Henderson is the captain, whatever. I think it'd be a big call to leave him on. I'd agree. And I'm just going to push it a bit further, though, and just say, I agree with you. And I think that's highly likely. And, 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 and you know, and, and whatever, I, I I I always just want him to start and do well. I I just do, and and I hope he does. And if he starts, I hope he's an absolute belter of a game because I really love the lad. But I, I really want to see Harvey Elliott start. So I, again, I ask you if you could choose that midfield. Um, obviously Fab and Thiago. Who would be the third person you'd pick to go and take on Inter at their place? I would play Harvey Elliott because I think yeah. when when Thiago plays. We, we have more control in midfield, which then makes it easier for everybody else around us. But there's nothing like control, is it? You know, I, I, I always think it's just about the most important thing you can get in a game is control, you know. So Thiago gives us that control, which then would make it easier for Harvey Elliott. He won't become involved in a game that's, you know, happening. Yeah, it's still happening at 100 miles an hour, but it's happening at 100 miles an hour on our terms. Uh, so, so I would play Harvey Elliott, absolutely. And I would also play Diaz, but I'm just, Trying to put myself in Klopp's shoes and how he's thinking. Uh, and I've just got a feeling that that's how he normally does things. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, yeah, again, I, I think people might be kind of fooling themselves into thinking otherwise because, you know, we have a lot of evidence uh, built up over time. Uh, it would suggest that. But it, look, it's, it's, it's just bloody fantastic to be looking ahead to the game and to at least have players of that caliber to be options should the tie be getting away for us it's uh really really exciting indeed um you know and i i like what you're saying that the the norwich and leeds games where by no means are you can you take any game for for granted and i mean you know despite what sean dice said um about all burnley's brilliant chances on a different day if they, they, they had one or two, and if they had converted those one or two, it, it could very well have been a far more disappointing afternoon for the Reds. So, I mean, we are still, you know, we have to be very, very careful. And that's the team that's propping the league up. Um, so it is that league, after all, at the end of the day. 
And again, Jan, I just had this thing. I, I've said it to you a million and one times, but I'm just going to throw it out there again. I mean, when, when is it going to happen? Uh, this thing that kicks in, it, it will it only happen if we win the league again, where we go to Burnley and they're already beaten. Like we saw, um, almost every time, um, City have taken the field this year, uh, just people just don't have it. They just don't have the heart in them. They don't, they don't put up, put in the performances. Some teams do. And occasionally you'll get a little bit of spirit and you'll get a weird result every so often. But the majority of teams are just beaten. It's, it's one of those ones that they, it's not even a free hit. They don't even consider it a free hit. They just get, let's get it out of the way and let's not get humiliated. When you think of all the goals that Liverpool are capable of scoring, when you think about the caliber of players that we have, the things that have been put in the trophy cabinet, I mean, how, what, what's it going to take for this Liverpool squad to have that same psychological effect on teams? Because, we really don't. They don't have it. Teams really always go to the next level, especially the bloody keepers against us. Is it simply just relentlessly winning trophies, another league, another European Cup, and then it comes? Do you think that's what it is? No, I, 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 I'm not sure it'll ever happen, Trevor. And I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you what I think, and I think it's it's something to do with the atmosphere, the atmosphere that's generated because of Liverpool Football Club. You know. So I'm in a forty position. I do a lot of games, uh, and I do a lot of games away from home when I'm from away. I'm not just talking Liverpool, but I will do Manchester City. And there is no such thing as the kind of excitement when Manchester City rolls into Sellers Park as there is when it's Liverpool. You know, so I think that the fact that Liverpool are in time in town or you go in Anfield inspires you to have the game of your life. That's that's the experience I'm getting everywhere I go. Uh, when Liverpool are involved, you don't get that at the Etihad. You don't get people at the Etihad. Which, in fairness, City have done a great job and it's a wonderful stadium. But you don't have people walking around the Etihad with, with their with their mouth open and going, "I can't believe this." You know, but I the other night against Leicester, I saw four Danes inside and they go three of them had never been here before, and they're, they're they're only inside having a beer and a and a, and a, and a hot dog and whatever. But already. They're going, I can't believe I'm here. I can't wait till they get, you know, you don't get that with Manchester City. So I think sometimes with City, it just becomes like, it's almost like a business transaction, isn't it? Oh, we got yeah. these, these are better than us. Yeah, man, we can't do anything. Whereas in Liverpool, you get inspired by the whole surroundings of that game, the 48 hours leading up to you playing Liverpool, one of the biggest clubs in the world. I, I think we'll never be able to get away with it from that, Trevor. It, it just follows us everywhere. You know, people love beating Liverpool because we have a we have a standing in the game, it, and that isn't necessarily just related to the amount of trophies. But we have a standing in the game uh, that people like to challenge us, challenge us, and, and go up against. And I don't think we'll ever be able to get away with that. So I think that our Premier League games will always be have a feel like a like a cup tie. You know, I don't think we'll get away with it. I think that's a brilliant point, man, <laughs> and, and it pains me because I I think. Basically, my dream of a, a a boring, mundane league win of one nils is is not going to happen as a result. And I, 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 you're right, you know, you're right. It's it's it's, it's everything, Trevor, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'll travel down to London on on the train with City fans going to a game or whatever, and there isn't that many of them. They just sit there and have their coffee and have a little chat or whatever. When when Liverpool fans on the train, I mean, I don't appreciate when they take my seat, but apart from that, it's like an occasion, isn't it? You know, it's like. It's just something different, isn't it? It affects the station, Liverpool station, Runcorn station, Crew station. It's filled with Liverpool fans. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just different, you know, Trevor. There's something 
there's it, something that is difficult to explain, isn't it? But it's it's because of our standing with, with within the game. Now, there's something that's uh, again just a. I think that's just a great point. There's something that that um, also is affecting matches, um, and it's not necessarily to do with Liverpool's standing, but it's to do with Liverpool's way of playing. And I kind of hinted at it at the start of the game, uh, show, and I want to come back round to it full circle because. There's all sorts of interesting statistics where Liverpool have caught the opposition offside, I think, like twice as many times as the second um, um, most prolific team at catching teams offside. Uh, and this is all to do with the fact that Liverpool play a high line. And like I said to you earlier on the show, it seems to be causing a tremendous amount of confusion uh, for lads in expensive shirts um, talking on television. They don't really seem to understand what it's all about. They're throwing their hands up. They think it's risky. Um, um, it's, it's, it's gonna cause them trouble. It's gonna bite them in the arse and so on and so forth. And yet the fact is that the team marshaled by Van Dyke are so bloody brilliant at it that it should be. And it is because ultimately the calls are made and, you know, we can, they, they, they go in our favor because we're getting the line right. Um, it should be a, a, something that gives us, it should be a demoralizing thing. The teams are going, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm offside again. And I I'm, I remember playing against teams who were particularly efficient at it. You know, when you get into the murky depths of amateur football, you get lads who are just particularly good at one thing. And some of them are great at the dark arts and some of them are great at things like that. And it's just demoralizing because you're caught off again and again and again because they all move out and run and you go, how the fuck are they doing that? And our lot are doing it. But instead of it, Jan, being something that is demoralizing the opposition and giving us a psychological advantage, because the referees are now currently, and the linesmen specifically, are not raising their flags to indicate that this player is clearly offside, the chances are going on, the game continues, our defenders are committed to straining into tackles, our keepers committed to diving close to woodwork, and all the play goes on, and then it's ruled offside when the home fans have gotten their tails up, they've hit a shot just narrowly wide or caused Ali to make a brilliant save or whatever. And the psychological advantage is all to them. I mean, it's messed up, Jan. It, this can't be a thing that goes on. It can't stay like this. I mean, it's it's daft. It's a terrific point you make, Trevor. And it, it is absolutely bang on, isn't it? Because the game does go ahead. When in reality, it should be stopped. Uh, and I'm not blaming the assistant referees because they've been told, wait, 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 wait. You know, do not put your flag up unless you're on the, I don't know if you saw them on, on Saturday morning when, when Man United played Southampton and Pogba scored. And I think, I don't know who he was around. Uh, and was upside, he must have been six, six yards upside and they still didn't give it, you know. So you're right. It creates, it builds a momentum because we always talk about momentum and you get momentum by, you know, attacking the opposition, having shots on target. And these teams, like Burnley, are having shots on our target when they shouldn't. So it gives them momentum. And to be fair, it's not something I'd really give it a lot of thought to, but it, it is a good point, Travis. It gets them up, you know, because because instead of, like you say, you run into an offside position, the referee blows, and then we play the other way, they get to finish it, isn't it? And everybody's bussing because, yeah, some people convince themselves, there'll be plenty of people at Burnley who probably wouldn't have seen Somebody offsides because all they see is the shot. They have a little clap and go unlucky. And then when the next time they look on the pitch, where the way playing again is. So yeah, it's a good point, actually. 
I'd have thought as well, like just in, in these times, these days that we're in where player welfare is at such a premium, at least people make noises about player welfare being at a premium. You could argue whether or not the powers that be actually give a shit. Um, but at least people talk about it all the time. That that thing I'm talking about where play continues and injury as a result is being risked because people are in last dash, last gasp situations, sliding into tackles or straining themselves and putting their limbs, uh, you know, uh, in harm's way for a situation that should not be occurring because the whistle should be gone. So I, I, I think if anyone was going to lean into it and try and make a point about it to the powers that be, that would be the the position to start from the player welfare angle because otherwise I suppose you'll get into um, maybe people don't like to hear about psychology. I think that's valid too though. I mean, look, we, we're coming close to the end and I want to talk a little bit about what we've got coming up. And realistically speaking, Wednesday night coming, that's the night bef- after next, we have the intermatch. Um, and we've spoken a little bit about that and what we're hoping to see in it. But obviously we've got a, a, a Premier League game against Norwich on the Saturday and then it's the following Wednesday's leads. Now, we'll try and get a show in on our Monday night there uh, after Norwich. So that'll be two games played. And then we'll have two more to look forward to in terms of the Leeds game and the, the uh, final um, some four days later uh, against Chelsea uh, at Wembley. But for now, just to look ahead to the uh, to the Norwich game at the weekend. And again, uh, we're, we're hoping that we go away to, to, um, to Milan and come back. Uh, injury-free. Um, do you think the turnaround is an issue in terms of time, or do you think it's more than adequate um, in terms of uh, getting being able to choose from everybody again uh, before we even speak about Norwich themselves? Do, do, do you think there's enough of a gap there? Because I think I heard Clapple talking about it. I, I, I could have this wrong, um, but just from memory, from, from hearing him talk about it before, I think he was talking about, is it two days or three days is you know, the proper recovery time and then the fourth day you're good to go in terms of full training and stuff like that. Um, so it's a, it is a tight turnaround. You're not looking at a whole lot of preparation time. Do you think there'll be, um, decisions made, uh, for the interselection with the Norwich game in mind or vice versa? No, I, I do think there's every chance also because the game we have after Norwich is a game that requires a lot of energy, which is, is which is the Leeds game, isn't it? So there's every chance that when we come back from Milan, we're going to play Norwich. There's every chance that the likes of Konati might come in. Simicaz might play as a, as a left back. I mentioned before Luis Diaz might play, whatever. So there's every chance he's going to take that into, con- into consideration. Uh, in terms of the turnaround, it won't be a problem. We are very, very good at recovery. But I do think it'll play, it'll play a part in Klopp's plans. Now, the opposition for the weekend in that game that we're chatting about, Norwich City are sitting um, three points ahead of Burnley. Um, but for Norwich, it's not a good situation because Burnley have played three games less than them. Um, so, you know, you're looking, looking at that bottom of the table and they really are in bad shape. I mean, they really are in bad shape. Watford, who are beneath them, two points beneath them, have a game less played as well. So even were they, were they to win that game, um, they'd be ahead of Norwich. They're in rough old terrain, to say the least, uh, not looking too clever for them. And just to put a bit of um, context on it for um, people who haven't been following how Norwich have been getting on ahead of our game on Saturday with them, um, they had 
last time out, obviously, um, City rolled over them 4-0 at their place. Um, uh, then they had a, another home game where they drew one each with Palace uh, before that. Uh, I think they progressed in the FA Cup um, against Wolves 1-0. Before that, they actually had a, an away win at the aforementioned Watford 3-0. And before that, a 2-1 win at Everton. And when you think about that, um, you know, there's a couple of de- half-decent results there for them. But, you know, you struggle then. It's very much a mixed bag as you go back. It's far more defeats than it is wins. They pick out an occasional win. I think um, they had... Uh, geez, I can't even remember the last time they won before that. I mean, it, you're, you're really struggling to, you're going back. Um, they're draw merchants. I think they had a win against Southampton way back in November time. Um, so they're not in a good spot. And again, just to give people an idea who might be in the shakeup for Norwich in terms of, uh, their team. In that most recent game against City, the lineup for them on the day was Gunn. They had Hanley and Gibson at centre half, Williams and Max Ahrens at, at full back, uh, Lees Malou and McLean and Gilmore were their midfielders, uh, Josh Sargent and Puki and uh, Rashika were across a front three nominally. And on the bench, they've got the likes of Sam Byram, they've got Christoph Zimmerman, they've got Kieran Dowell. Uh, they've got um, Matthias Norman, um, Janulis is another lad that's on there, Michael McGovern, John Lowe. These are not names that would be well known to many people, I don't think. Um, you don't ever like to think, even with the quickish turnaround, and uh, you know, uh, you talked about our powers of recovery, and we'll lean into that, we'll lean into the fact that the squad is looking healthy. You don't like to think about um, Liverpool struggling against any team, but you also don't like to be too. Um, uh, complacent, but Jesus, yeah, I mean, it's hard to look at a game against Burnley or a game against Norwich and not think we should actually be tonking these. Um, and I'd be very, very hopeful that we can do that at home. And, and when you look at the two games, Norwich and Leeds, you, you, that is the, the, the approach you're going to have. You know, right now I'm thinking one of them has is, is got every chance of getting the spanking, isn't it? The only yeah. thing we'll say about Norwich is that it's slightly improved since Dean Smith has got in there as a manager. I think we saw on Saturday against Manchester City, they desperately that quality, you know, and it'll be exactly the same uh, when they play against Liverpool. And, you know, I guess the, the key to our game against them is the first goal. You know, how early can we get that first goal, get the game opened up a little bit, and uh, then we'll be OK. It always is the same with games, so I mean, the longer it's nil-nil, the more frustrating it gets in the box. Whatever, I mean, we'll, we'll beat them, absolutely. It's funny you just mentioned the FA Cup there. Of course, we've got him also in the, in the fifth round of the FA Cup. And Anthony, so we'll see quite a bit of the Canadians. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thanks for tying that together for me. Appreciate it. And uh, sometimes when I'm in the middle of a flow there, I don't even see what's right in front of my face. You know, um, it's, 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 it is an exciting, it is an exciting month. And I don't want us to flash forward to the, the final at the end of the month until the next show, because we will have that to talk about. And like I said, um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's taken fast. By the time we're doing our next show, we'll have played Inter and played Norwich, and we'll have those two games to talk about. And we'll be looking ahead to the Leeds game uh, about two nights later, and then at the weekend on the Sunday, we'll have the Chelsea match. This is uh, exciting time to be a Red and trophies potentially uh, to be won and and uh, competitions to be advanced in. And 
I, I haven't had time to talk to you about um, the Pep Guardiola interview that I saw where, wow, well, I'll tell you what, he's a, he's a very disingenuous man. He was chatting away about how, you know, they deserve to be where they are and um, seems to just have no kind of, no ability to read the room. He's always so defensive. He seems to be always dying for for uh, them to be taken seriously. As a, and he always seems to have a, a, a tremendous amount of bitterness in him. And I know you and I have talked about the lad before. You always say to me, like, you know, if I'm going off on one about, you know, to sort of, we've got to, we got to acknowledge the, the record and absolutely there's no two ways about it. But I can also see the argument for, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, he's very hard to like. I'll put it that way. I find it very hard to like him. Hopefully we'll have a bit more time to talk about that on the next show because it is an interesting topic. I'd like to get your take on it. But we'll tease that for now and leave it hanging there for the listeners as something that we will be talking about in shows to come. We should let you get back to your um, Monday evening, Jan. And uh, for a show where we've uh, gone around uh, four different matches and several different topics and several different decades, um, as, as usual, thanks very much. No, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to these next couple of games. I mean, Inter will be a, be a really, really good game. Don't completely write them off. But I think we'll win that one. And Norwich is generally one of them, as you think. It, you know, it could be a, be a long afternoon for Norwich if we can get an early goal. So, yeah. Uh, can't wait for next Monday till we uh, talk about these two games. Look forward to Leeds and, of course, uh, the big cup final at the end of the month. You've got to love all this. You've got to love all this. And hopefully you are one of the growing band of new um, uh, ears wrapping yourselves around this particular podcast. We're delighted to welcome you to the fold if you are. Uh, we say particular thanks to the subscribers to Anfield Index Pro who keep the lights on at the channel and you could really consider becoming one of those perhaps once you've listened to a few more of these shows and some of the other incredible stuff that's on the channel um, I think you'll find that it's well worth your while um, but um, if you are new to it welcome um, myself and Jan are delighted to have you along for the ride and we hope that you will be joining um, vast amounts more in the uh, weeks and months to come as we continue the show so on behalf of Jan, on behalf of producer Guy Drinkle and myself, Trev Downey, uh, this has been Malby on the Spot and we will speak to you again very soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.